Muppet Turkey with a groovy episode about the Lou Rawls episode of The Muppet Show with our own very special guest star, Becca Petunia. Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm David Levy and here today with me are Adam Grossworth, Michal Richardson, and Christy Bauer. And we have with us today the aforementioned special guest star, Becca Petunia. Hi, Becca. Hi, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Oh, I'm all right. I'm, I'm feeling groovy. Then you're in the right place. If I'm feeling groovy, I might be in the wrong place because Paul Simon doesn't show up until uh, uh, season five. Also true. Becca Petunia, also sometimes known as Evan G, is a lifelong Muppet fan who started writing and drawing for Tough Pigs way back in 2014. Since then, she's become a regular contributor of both articles and artwork. In 2021, Becca began hosting the Hubba Muppet Trivia Podcast on Tough Pigs. Hubba Outside of that sphere, she's a regular cast member on the Rollout Actual Play Podcast. Becca, tell us a little bit about your history with the Muppets. Like you just said, I'm a lifelong fan. I've kind of described it as being like, you know how when you're family is like a big fan of a sports team and it's like you're a fan of that sports team almost by default like you don't have a choice my dad loves the muppets loves the muppets so growing up it was just all around me and and even though i'm younger than you would expect your average muppet show fan to be we had a bunch of episodes recorded on VHS that he would record off of TV. We had like the Muppet Show book and of Muppets and Men and all of the, you know, bunch of Muppet Babies comics and stuff like that. So it was just always around me and always, always a part of my life. And it's it's definitely something that's sort of shaped my sense of humor and my aesthetic and, and all of those things since then. Well, I am so glad that you're here with us. I think listeners might remember that I had been a guest on your podcast, which was so much fun, and we'll include a link to that in the show notes so people can check it out. And I am excited to see what you bring to this conversation. Hopefully it's uh, it's good. I believe in us. Adam, take it away. Today, we are here to talk about Season 2, Episode 15 of The Muppet Show. It was produced November 1st through 3rd, 1977, and we think it aired in New York on March 13th, 1978. This is another one of those funky episodes. Um, Muppet Wiki says March 3rd, which uh, is the wrong night of the week. Um, March 13th is the right night of the week. Hey, typos happen. It's fine. And uh, the New York Times, though, says Nancy Walker, which you may recall is one of those episodes that has been wrong in the past, but like months and months earlier in October 77. So we're going to trust Muppet Wiki with a typo <laughs> and say that it aired in New York on March 13th, 1978, which makes it 20th in the air order for the season. Not a super exciting week in the New York Times, but when I was scrolling through, um, I did notice there's a, a two pages, like the, the, the right side of one page um, has the movie ads and the left side of the next page has the theater ads. And I caught my eye, um, an unmarried woman and Annie Hall on the left and fuck Woody Allen, but I do still like Annie Hall. I know it's super problematic. I'm sorry. Um, and on the right side was Side by Side by Sondheim, Bob Fosse's Danson and Liza Minnelli playing the Majestic. And that sounds like a fun weekend. On television, not a super exciting night either, but the NBC movie is Death of Her Innocence. Roommates at a girl's school are distracted by their counterparts at a nearby prep school. It's a rerun. It's actually, I think, a 1972 TV movie. And at 10 on CBS, Gene Kelly, an American in Pasadena. Be which still my was, heart. 
right? <laughs> um, a variety special. I have not looked for it, but I will. Um, if it's anywhere, we will put it in the show notes. Um, it featured, among many others, Joe Raposo, Stan, Frank Sinatra, and future Muppet Show guest star Liza Minnelli. To introduce our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. So it really makes me happy to introduce to you. I knew going into this episode that Lou Rawls was a musician, but honestly, even after watching this episode, I wasn't sure I knew exactly who he was. So I headed to Spotify and hit play on his greatest hits. And as soon as this song started, I knew exactly who we were talking about. You'll never find the rhythm, the rhyme, all the magic we shared, just us two. So yeah, Lou Rawls is a soul singer who, if you're my age, was a constant presence on adult contemporary radio when we were kids. Shout out to WMJX, Magic 106.7 in Boston. Born in Chicago in 1933, he got his start singing in church. And through local singing opportunities, he became friends with another best-of-his-generation singer, Sam Cooke. After high school, Rawls and Cooke sang together in a gospel group. And when Cooke went to Los Angeles, Rawls took his place in the Highway QCs, a more prestigious gospel group. He too made his way west and landed with another gospel group, the Pilgrim Travelers. And here's where I should note that as an East Coast Jew born in the late 70s, I know less than nothing about gospel groups of the 50s. So while my general sense is that he kept moving to more and more prestigious groups, I can't really situate them in terms of how big a deal each was. Listeners, if that's your thing, please feel free to write in and give us a little more context. When Lou was 22, he joined the Army as a paratrooper, and he served for three years. When he got out, he returned to the Travelers, and while on tour with the group and Sam Cooke, he was in a car accident that was so bad he was pronounced dead before he got to the hospital. And I don't really know how this worked, because apparently... They took it back and they decided that he had the chance. <laughs> and after five and a half days, he did wake up. That worked out. Yeah, but it did take several months for his memory to return and a full year of recuperation before he could resume something that looked like normal life. So he died and he came back a week later. So I know you said you don't really know about gospel groups. <laughs> but uh... <laughs> It does seem like he might have had uh, someone doing a little extra work on his side. When he did return, he did so in style, releasing his first singles and appearing at the Hollywood Bowl with Dick Clark. In 1962, he signed with Capitol Records, and as was typical for black artists of the day, it took them a while to figure out what to do with him. His first couple of albums featured fairly straightforward jazz and big band, and they charted, but they didn't really launch him in the way that he might have hoped. In 1966, he took a turn towards soul music with the album Soulin', and that's when people really sat up and took notice. That album contained Love is a Hurtin' Thing, which was his first number one R&B single. In 1967, he won his first Grammy Award for Best R&B Vocal Performance for the single Dead End Street. Also in 67, he performed at the first evening of the Monterey International Pop Music Festival. So at that point, his star was really on the rise. He co-hosted a summer replacement variety show on NBC. He appeared on Sesame Street to sing the alphabet. He had made it. And his music continued to sell more and more. In 1976, his album All Things in Time sold more than a million copies. And the single You'll Never Find Another Love Like Mine from that album became his biggest selling single, also selling a million copies, 
topping the R&B and adult contemporary charts and reaching number two on the pop chart. The hit single Lady Love followed from the 1977 When You Hear Lou, You've Heard It All. That's the other song, by the way, that when it came up on Spotify, I was like, oh, that guy. Lady Love Your love is peaceful like a summer's breeze By 1978, he had won three Grammy Awards for Best Male R&B Vocal Performance. So once again, we have a star appearing on The Muppet Show at the absolute pinnacle of his career. In 1980, Rawls launched the Lou Rawls Parade of Stars Telethon, which benefits the United Negro College Fund and raised hundreds of millions of dollars during his lifetime. I wasn't sure where else to fit this in, but it felt important to me to say that he also had the first radio hit version of the song The Wind Beneath My Wings in 1983. You know, it must have been cold standing there in my shadow. You never had the sunlight on your face. He had a surprisingly long acting resume, too, largely in guest star and supporting roles, including a recurring role on Baywatch Nights. He was a Budweiser pitchman in the 70s and 80s for the When You Say Budweiser, You've Said It All campaign, which, yes, has an uncanny similarity to the title of his album, When You Hear Lou, You've Heard It All. Later in life, he also did quite a bit of voiceover work, including recording a lot of songs for Garfield specials in the 80s and playing Harvey the Mailman on Hey Arnold. He died in January 2006 from cancer. His final performance had been the previous September on the telethon he founded. Does anyone have Lou Rawls' memories or feelings to share? I'm glad you told us who he was because I needed that. It's one of those things where I, I'm I'm watching this episode and I'm like, oh, I'm really enjoying this. I'm really enjoying this music. And yet I know full well I will never seek this music out uh, again beyond this episode. I have that relationship with a lot of Muppet Show guest stars where it's just kind of like, oh, they're very talented. Not really my thing, but they're very talented. You asked for that clip of uh, You'll Never Find Another Love Like Mine, and I was like, oh, I've never heard of that song. And then I played it and was like, oh, I've heard the song a million times, right? Like he was, as we've talked about so many of, of these guest stars, like he was in the air in the 70s and 80s. But I think both both because I was a child and like, there was no Shazam. Like I wasn't reading about him. I didn't know his name necessarily, but he was certainly extremely present. And I definitely watched every one of those Garfield cartoons. Yeah, I was excited just to have a personality to attach to him because I I did know his name and and uh, a lot of his music, but this was the first time that I had seen him. I like I remember seeing commercials for the telethon when I was a kid, but never watched that. So, uh yeah, it's a it's a delight to get to know him a tiny bit better. Becca, what are your overall thoughts of this episode? So I requested to be on this episode because it's honestly one of my one of my favorites. I had previously reviewed it for Tough Pigs for our Muppet Show reviews that we did for over the span of five years. And I really just like this. I think it's a really solid episode with, you know, a lot of good versions of, of some of the some of the the stuff we're used to seeing on the Muppet Show so far some good music and again the the guest star really seems to be enjoying himself and and when whenever there's an episode where that's the case i think that they're much stronger the fozzy bear bit in particular which i know we'll get into later and i don't want to talk too much now but is one of my favorite things the muppets ever did michael yeah ditto to all of that this was such a fun goofy episode and uh i love 
how much of a goofball Lou Rawls turns out to be. He's he's really down to clown. And I love how much Muppet Show they can pack into an episode when the plot is just one ridiculous and extremely funny running gag. And it's hard not to compare this with the Elton John episode, which we watched last week, where the Muppets kind of turned into background actors on their own show. And they were they felt like their own special guests. And it's such a pleasure to compare that to this and watch the Muppets being themselves and having a special guest, but incorporating their guest into the Muppet ecosystem and everybody kind of working well together. It's a great time. Everybody go watch it. David? Yeah, I think for me, the success of this episode is that it includes so many of the recurring sketches. So it some ways matches like the quintessential idea of what we remember the Muppet show being because we get a veterinarian's hospital and we get a Muppet Labs and we get the newsman and like all these things that are normally spread out across many episodes are all gathered together in one. The Lou Rawls stuff is fine. Like I enjoyed it. Uh, I'm not as convinced that it is so Muppety as everyone else seems to be. Like to me, they felt for the most part, like very standard variety show performances, but I like them. Uh, But I also think I would like this episode just as much if you cut out all of those and just gave me the rest of it. Christy? Yeah, I agree with everything that everybody said. I I thought, especially after the Elton John episode, that this episode was a breath of fresh air. I think the phrase that I had in my notes is necessary corrective, because <laughs> Lou Rawls seems so much more comfortable with the Muppets than Elton John did. And it it's just nice to see him not put on a pedestal and just allowed to be who he is. It just lets him shine so much brighter. And also, he's just cool as hell. Like, I'm just like, I, I wish I could have hung out with this guy. <laughs> um, it's a great time across the board. Yeah, I, I have really very little to add. I think, David, I think you're right. And I think I think this episode benefits from the comparison to the Elton John episode that that we happen to have just watched. But that said, I did I did really love it. And I will I will save specifics for when we get into specifics. Lou Rawls! Oh, Lou Rawls! 24 seconds to curtain, Mr. Rawls! Thank you, Scooter. So in the opening of this episode, Sam continues his crusade to sabotage the show by trying to scare off the guest stars in the opening. Mr. Rawls, I I wanted to tell you that I greatly respect your talent, and I've followed your career from its very beginning. Thank you, Sam. It's just too bad it has to end here. It hasn't worked yet. The guest stars do seem to stick around. It is so interesting to me that this is like that Sam's fandom lies in Rudolf Nureyev and Lou Rawls. I think that there is a very specific approach that the writers take whenever they have a black guest star to make sure that they don't do anything that disparages them, even in good fun, in a way that they're not as careful with the white guest stars. I've noticed that as early as like Lena Horne talk about putting someone up on a pedestal. Even with Ben Vereen, like they have fun with him in lots of ways, but they they never let like Sattler and Waldorf go at them. They never do any of this stuff that sort of knocks them down a peg in the way that they might do with some of their white guest stars. I don't know if that's accurate or that's just a theory or an impression I come away with, but that's that's my working theory. Yeah, I don't know if they're enough to establish a pattern yet. The face that Lou Rawls makes when Sam says, it's such a pity it has to end here. Lou Rawls is not really an actor. And uh, that that face is, um, he's really, he's really overacting right there. <laughs> it does sound a little bit like Sam was going to murder him, though. 
It did, it did sound a little threatening when he approached him. I, I got fair, a little worried. Fair. Uh, elsewhere in the intro, Gonzo's trumpet bit is recycled from the Steve Martin episode. There's green smoke and Gonzo remarks that there's green smoke. Still no Pope. Stetler and Waldorf just want to take a nap. We're old men! Give us a break! And uh, no development in our yay evolution yet. Yeah, Muppet Show backstage! So our backstage plot this week is more of a running gag, but it's extremely entertaining, as we've noted. Fozzie was supposed to open the show with a roller skating act. However, he is not quite ready. But first, to get things started, here's our own Fozzie Bear, who will perform for you tonight on roller skates. Oh, man, I think the act needs just a bit more rehearsal. <laughs> well, uh, so much for the opening number. So the show goes on out of order. Fozzie occasionally skates through the backstage and crashes into things. It's great. I see. I'll tell him. Hey, Kermit, hmm? the Swedish chef says he's not ready to go on. You said he'd be on the second half of the show. <laughs> hey, well, listen, chef, we've had to move things around a little. Kermit! Uh, in fact, some things are moving around quite a lot. <laughs> I think I've almost got a lick, Kermit! at which points he skates down the stairs and out the exit (laughs) by accident it's a very minimal backstage plot but it is extremely satisfying especially at the end of the show when everyone including lou rawls gets into the roller skating act okay well that's about all the time we have but before we go i'm going now (laughs) (laughs) as a person who can barely stand on roller skates who fractured an arm on roller skates. <gasps> no. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt this in my bones. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Yeah. As, as little plot as there is in this backstage plot, you know, I'm always here for anything involving the inner workings of the show within the show. So just getting to see Kermit having to move stuff around and like deal with the Swedish chef who is not happy. Like all, all of that just made me so happy to see. Also, I feel like we haven't gotten to see Kermit being competent in a while, <laughs> even though it all goes wrong. Um, but that's the chef's fault, not Kermit's. And so, yeah, I, I was delighted by all of this on top of how funny Fozzie is on the skates. Can we talk for a second about how they make it look like a puppet is roller skating? Yeah, I wondered about that too. <laughs> like, been... I know that they they often are, are already on like a rolling chair or a dolly, but to think about how fast he's moving and the fact that he is a two person to operate puppet, like does that mean the right hander is like sitting on Frank's lap as someone just like pushed really hard and let him go? I didn't think to look at the hands, but that that's my assumption. Except when he's doing his act and then he kind of moves from left to right, like somebody who is competently roller skating. That was convincing puppetry. I think, yeah, being shoved across the backstage. Like, yeah, or is he just really good at moving smoothly? I was hoping Muppet Wiki had an explanation, but it doesn't seem like they do. But it's, I mean, look, this is why Frank Oz is like, you know, the greatest. The, however... Any of those methods you just described would still be incredibly challenging. There's no easy way that this could have been pulled off, but it just looks so easy. It is worth noting, though, when the when the chef is skating, uh, the chef has no arms because that really wouldn't work because the Swedish chef doesn't have puppet hands; he has human hands. So there's no way that could have worked. So you'll you'll see 
he's just his coat is just kind of tented over him and i guess it's supposed to be like his arms are crossed but he's got no arms at all i thought that's so funny because i thought his hands were like folded on his chest no you can't see them at all that's interesting it's like they actually created it oh yeah i'm sorry it's like it's like he's so casual about the skating that his arms are down by his side and he doesn't need them at all Mm -hmm. which of course right is 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 to hide his hands but also creates this character thing that actually works i was convinced by looking at him that 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 they wanted us to believe at least and i i believed it enough that he was like clasping his hands behind his back behind his back yeah yes yes yes, yeah that was right sense i got he's just so chill um but yeah that's it and at the end in the end we see multiple muppets skating and like everybody whatever they're doing like you believe it like there's no bounce it's remarkable i was wondering what they set up blue rolls on i mean i'm sure that was a much easier thing to rig up like they put him on a dolly or a skateboard or something but it was fun to picture that's very cool he looks so happy to be skating like (laughs) maybe he's just skating maybe like maybe you know i don't know what the because these aren't raised stages the way they have in later muppet productions so he could just be skating on the floor. Sure. I also just want to note that Scooter speaks Swedish, apparently. Mock Swedish. That's that's new information, because he, he talks to the chef. And it's the first time I've really noticed a sound difference uh, when Kermit is talking to the chef, that he's clearly either recorded or ADR'd. That's all. Just a little. That makes sense. I mean, uh, I, yeah, obviously, I it's, it, but it's it fine. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not mad about it. I just, like, I just clocked it. So... A lot of fun songs this week, uh, including a couple of Lou Rawls numbers. Uh, our, our opening number is a Lou Rawls number. Give me the simple life full of fun and joy. Can you see I'm just a big old country boy? Hey, and I like groovy people. I like to be So this is Groovy People, which is from Lou Rawls's album All Things in Time, the album that you'll never find another love like mine came from, from 1976. It was written by Kenneth Gamble and Leon Huff, who are credited with the development of the Philadelphia soul genre. This album was actually put out on their label, which was Philadelphia International Records. And in addition to this album, they also wrote If You Don't Know Me By Now for Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, Love Train for the OJs, and Me and Mrs. Jones for Billy Paul. And uh, both of these guys are still alive, and they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2008. And this is delightful. It's it's Lou singing with uh, four whatnots called the Sleaze Brothers. <laughs> the Sleaze Brothers, Joe Flaherty and Dave Thomas of Follow That Bird fame and also SCTV. Yeah, no, the, the other oh, Sleaze Brothers. brothers. Yeah. <laughs> so many Sleaze Brothers, so little time. <laughs> I just think it's so interesting, like, again, to compare to the Elton John episode, like, this is, this is done totally straight. He's just standing and singing with a, a groovy backdrop. And then he gets these four backup singers who I don't, are they Muppet voices? Are they, are they our regular guys or are they his backup singers? They sound a little more polished than the usual. Yeah. Muppet backup singers. Yeah. Um, I believe it's, it's, it's ADR. Yeah. But because they're, they're purpose built for this number, 
it just feels it feels different and le- it feels more interesting than the Elton John, and it feels like more fun. I don't know. I I enjoy. It. I mean, I guess Crocodile Rock also has that vibe to it, but this just felt so much more fun to me. I disagree. I, okay. I, I mean, I I liked it. I thought it was fun, but to me, this just felt like any variety show. Like of like, yes, the backup singers were Muppets, but they didn't do anything that was particularly Muppety. They didn't sound like Muppets. They didn't have shtick like Muppets. And it, I felt that Lou was really. I know someone someone else said earlier that he was very comfortable around Muppets, but I felt like. In this number especially, he didn't know what to do with Muppets. He was constantly kind of like looking down or hunching over since they're so much shorter than him. So the parts of the song where he's singing directly to the camera, I thought were so great and so charming. And then every time he sort of like looked down at the Muppets, it, it broke it a little bit. So I thought it was fine. I didn't I didn't hate it, but I, I, I did not think that this somehow had like a magic that was lacking in Elton John. Yeah, seeing as I was the one who said that he was comfortable with the the Muppets, if I can just chime in, this is probably the number where I feel like he's least comfortable with the Muppets. And, and I do agree with David that it's a little weird just how straight it is. And it's not even like played straight with characters we know. So it's very difficult to like latch on to something for, for any sake, other than just how talented Lou Rawls is. I think part of the thing with him hunching and like looking down is that I feel like it's staged somewhat differently than a lot of other Muppet numbers, where in trying to show more of Lou Rawls' full body, the puppets are even lower than they usually are. Mm. I'd have to really do a, a complex study about this to figure it out, but I feel like they're lower than they are like when Miss Piggy sings Don't Go Break In My Heart with Elton John. Interesting. That that feels right to me because she comes up to his chest. Yeah, or at they're least like to his like you know uh, mid torso. They're like oh, she comes up to belt. his chest. Multiple <laughs> times. <laughs> I definitely noticed that later when when Miss Piggy is sitting at at the table in the in the later number that that's a very small table. <laughs> yeah, it's it's also that this is the kind of number that up until this point, any other number like this, we would have seen full body Muppets doing the the backup singing in there. Oh yeah. It would have been put point. behind him. And so, you know, it's maybe also just there. There's still, this is still relatively early in the lifespan of the Muppet show. Like they're still working it out. And I think these whatnots look great. They look great with their feathery hair and all the different colors of their noses and hair against the salmon colored leisure suit that Lou Rawls is rocking. <laughs> I got no problems with these whatnots. That uh, that yellow whatnot base is the one that gets reused as New Zealand next season. Oh, neat! Oh, wow! Oh. I totally did not even notice that. No, me neither. There, there will be gifts in our show notes if you if you didn't either and want to go look without bothering to open Disney Plus. That Lou Rawls is one fantastic singer. <laughs> so am I. Hey, you want to hear me sing? Well, only if you sing solo. Solo, solo. I can't hear. <laughs> So our siestas are getting shorter and shorter. <laughs> this was the, the most like my grandfather, Statler and Waldorf, have ever sounded. We've talked about this joke before. And most like they, the Tiki Room, yes. There was, a yeah. version, there was a version of that joke in an earlier episode, and I, I mentioned that my mother used to use this version of it on me all the time. Yeah. And here it is. It's a classic. Speaking of, of classics, we get a bit uh, tropical in our next number. When it's cool and shady, when it's really wicky wacky, 
I love this so much. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a ukulele lady music by Richard A. Whiting uh, lyrics by Gus Kahn from 1925. Shout out to the public domain. Gus Kahn was the lyricist of uh, such standards as it had to be you uh, making whoopee and dream a little dream of me. And he was the subject of one of those songwriter biopics that we seem to talk about all the time called I'll see you in my dreams starring Danny Thomas from 1951. David, have you seen this? I have not, but it is on my list. Great. And Richard A. Whiting wrote the music for Hooray for Hollywood and on the Good Ship Lollipop. And he died of at age 46 of a heart attack. So there is a small reference at the end of the song in the part that we just heard to another song, an even older song called Abba Dabba Honeymoon, which comes from 1914. That's the part where Miss Piggy says, you like me and I like you. Uh, so that was a novelty song by Arthur Fields and Walter Donovan perhaps best known for its performance by Debbie Reynolds and Carlton Carpenter in the 1950 MGM musical Two Weeks with Love, which I also have not seen. But that movie also includes the song Row, Row, Row that we all loved so much when Wayne and Wanda did it in season one. (laughs) Did it strike anyone else as a little bit, um, you know, racist? Or am I being overly sensitive to these things now? I think you're being overly sensitive and also probably yes. Okay, great. I think... I think it's not as bad as most things you'd imagine were written, you know, like in 1925. Oh, it's not as bad as some things we've seen on the show already. But but I I think specifically the part where where Kermit goes uh, like wicky wacky woo feels very much like we're we're making fun of the way uh, Polynesian languages sound. Correct. And and Piggy's uh, accent, the the you like a me part is also not, not not great. Oh, see, that part, because that's a reference to an earlier song where, like, in the context of that song, it's very much not, like, a racist stereotype. It's like a, we're making silly sounds nonsense Mm. song. Uh, I don't think, and I think that even in the 70s, people would be familiar enough with Abba Dabba Honeymoon to to know what that was and, and not think that that's making fun of an accent. Gotcha. It's still not 100% in the clear yeah. But it is very sweetly <laughs> sung and staged. I mean, I love this song. Uh, this is a uh, this is probably the podcast where people will know what I'm talking about. Where I say that I I always think of the Bette Midler version from Bathhouse Betty um, <laughs> as as being a. Uh, uh, that was probably the first version of this that I heard and that I I always really liked. It's a really sweet song, and I like the simple staging. And their harmonies sound great, having, having just slightly shit on them as vocalists, I will say. They sound really lovely here. It was surprising to me that this was not the UK spot, because it just has sort of UK spot energy to it. And we'll talk about the UK spot in a second, and I'm not sure that they made the right decision. I love both of those numbers, but this feels like, I don't know, like the, not the most excisable, but maybe the most incongruous with the rest of the episode, in a way that I usually would clock as the UK spot. This is random, but in reading about this song, I learned that Bette Midler, born in Hawaii. Did you know that? Hmm. Oh, yeah. Neat. Yeah, I learned that today, reading, checking which album it was from, because I was like, wait, which which Bette Midler album was it? Was it Bed of Roses? It wasn't. 
she went to the same high school that one of my college roommates went to, and they have a lot of alumni pride about her. So uh, that has been a piece of trivia floating around in my head for at least 25 years. <laughs> so we have a sweet family moment in the UK mm-hmm. spot? Listen, Adam, you don't get to whine about this because you loved when they did this with Rolf so much, you willed this into being. Okay, but they weren't <laughs> related. <laughs> you don't let's, know that. Let's just play the clip. Friends may forsake me, let them all forsake me. You'll pull me through, sunny boy. Oh, my son, when you grow up, you know you might be a halfback, or you might even be a fullback, or if you really persevere. You might grow up and be a football. That's not okay. <laughs> I thought it was funny. It was funny, uh, but it's not okay. It always, it's one of those things that just brings up so many questions. You know, like, it's like in the Muppet universe, do they make pigs into footballs still? Because I mean, almost made Robin into frog's legs later in the episode. Y- yeah. It's and always this is not even the first time they've made a pig into football joke in the Muppet show. Like that's been a, almost a running gag. It's definitely come up in at the dance. And I think it's, it came up at uh, the panel discussion in season one too. And they continually refer to Miss Piggy, or at least when Floyd is poking fun at Miss Piggy, she's little Miss Hamhocks or, such things. Lou Rawls says that in this episode. Yeah. They're very aware of what <laughs> happens to pigs. Uh, uh, footballs were never made out of pigskin, according to the internet. Well, if the internet says it. Can we explain what's happening on screen? Sure, sure. So these, these are the mellifluous tones of one Link Hogthrob singing to a live piglet. <laughs> and... Well, let's talk about the song. So the, the song's called Sunny Boy. It was written by Ray Henderson, Lou Brown, and B.G. De Silva in 1928. Shout out to the almost public domain. It'll be public domain next year. Uh, for a film called The Singing Fool. It was introduced by Al Jolson. And it was the fifth biggest song of the year in 1928. The Jolson recording was number one for 12 weeks. It was like the Despacito of 1928. <laughs> <laughs> Which is baffling for so many reasons. And Interestingly, Henderson, Brown, and De Silva also received the biopic treatment in a, a 1956 movie called The Best Things in Life Are Free. David, have you seen that one? No, but that one is on my Amazon wish list if anyone wants to get it for me. I love when we find the real theme of the episode. I thought it was free. <laughs> <sighs> okay, they were made of pig bladders. So that's better. Uh, is it? But not after, the, not after the late 1800s. I was like, maybe in 1978, but no, definitely not. Yeah, the fact that the pig is meant to be his son, as opposed to the puppy, which is just some puppy. <laughs> and also, like, so he's hold so the puppy was like set on a table. Link is fully holding this piglet in the air, and it's like not it's like a it's a young pig, but not like a tiny piglet, like that puppy was a tiny puppy. And it all just seems very awkward. <laughs> and we also need to say that the piglet is wearing a football jersey. Is that is it a football oh, jersey? That's what he's wearing? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like just, an old old fashioned like 1920s style yeah oh that makes sense well you know what i'm not sure how much of that was for the joke and how much of that was they were nervous that it was gonna like poop or pee on screen and this way that would be covered 
I mean, look, I love an animal in a sweater. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not mad about it. <laughs> He's not even wearing the sweater correctly, though, is, is one thing. Maybe just because we're watching in HD, but you can totally notice that the pig's left, the pig's left, not our left, the pig's left, I was about to say arm, arm the pig yeah. doesn't have arms, <laughs> the pig's, the pig's left, arms. fair, the pig's left foreleg is in a sleeve, and then his right foreleg isn't in a sleeve, and you can see the empty sleeve just dangling next to him. I spent the whole song trying to figure out what was going on there. Yep, it's real weird. Because <laughs> at one point I was like, oh, is there like a... And this actually may also be the reason for the sweater, is like, is there an extra performer holding the pig in addition to Jim or whoever is operating Link's hands holding the pig just for like and is that being masked by the sweater i I, i'm not sure but that that's one possible thing going on there so i know we all kind of melted when there was a puppy on screen but and this pig is having a different effect on us but what if the pig had been wearing a football helmet that would have been adorable that would have been real cute yeah i think if it had been a smaller pig if it had been like a, a real proper piglet not like a toddler it's an issue of, you know, if, if we're doing the direct comparison to the What a Wonderful World, it, it's an issue of it being a terrible song and Link being a jokey singer. Yes. Because there's no way to register anything genuine in this song. <laughs> you know, whereas Ralph can sing a thing and, and, and we can, you know, enjoy it straight. Yeah, I can't believe that this song was ever number one for that long because... Um, it's not a good song. It's annoying. I mean, everything about Al Jolson. <laughs> Let's not go down that road. <laughs> sure, I mean, sure. Different time. <laughs> I will admit that my primary association with this number is Mandy Patinkin, who covered it on his first album, which is like, of course I don't know, a good 50% Al Jolson numbers. Yeah, no, that, that tracks. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Love you, Mandy, but... Uh, uh, this is definitely, uh, I did not realize until we were talking about this number off mic that Link's first name is a joke, and I feel real stupid about that. <laughs> I had oh, never You know, I never it. got that. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you both. And I've been, I've been doing this for, for, for 30 years. <laughs> it's just wow. such a 70s name. Like, it's such a, like, it's just That's such a 70s such name a that good joke. pairs so well with Hogthrob that it just never, like, I, the sausage Link thing never crossed my mind until this week so yeah yeah we're learning a lot we are we're gonna talk about the talk spot later in the show business segment but within the talk spot there is a a jam session and it's a very avian somewhere somebody's waiting for me sugar is sweet so is she goodbye Bye, you jive turkey you i wonder you can them all understand me Oh, what hard luck stories they all each and everybody hands me make my bed light light but I might not get home tonight chicken turkey owl parakeet parrot pheasant partridge minor bird kiwi bird hummingbird jaybird red bird blue bird big bird bow 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 so this is Bye Bye Blackbird, which is a standard from 1926 with music by Ray Henderson, lyrics by Mort Dixon. According to LearnJazzStandards.com, 
quote, this is a very common jam session tune and it is important to know. Great. Yeah, sure. And notably, it was very nearly recorded by failed skiffle outfit, the Beatles, but it was recorded for sure by two of them separately. There's a really good recording in particular by Paul McCartney from an album from like 10 years ago called Kisses on the Bottom. I actually prefer the Ringo version, but that probably says more about me than about the recordings. Sure, sure. I know this primarily as a Liza Minnelli song from Liza with a Z, the live Bob Fosse special. We'll include that clip in the show notes. We definitely will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is this is one of my favorites. I just love scat. What? Scat! Scat! What, is there a pussycat in here? <laughs> They knew what they were doing with that, right? I don't know. Did they? And they had to. Oh, Stadler and Waldorf. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to kink shame anybody, but yeah. we don't need to know. <laughs> oh, boy. Oof, okay. Uh, and then our, our, our last number is another Lou Rawls song. I say because you did something to me Nobody else has ever done Hey, Miss Biggie, you are the one. I'm trying to tell you that you're the one. You are the one. You're the one, hey, baby. You are the one. I hear you, Lou. I'm trying to tell you you're the one. So this is Lou and the Mayhem singing to Miss Piggy. Uh, it's another Gamble and Huff song, and it's the very first track on that All Things in Time album. It's interesting to me that even though at this point he was better known as a soul singer, that they chose three really like jazz-inflected numbers for him to do on this show. And I wonder if that was like a political calculation or what was going on there. Probably just fits the tone of the Muppet show a little better. I guess it would be really creepy for him to sing Lady Love to Miss Piggy, but I'd also like to see it. It's it's also worth noting that this is not technically uh, the, the mayhem, because Kermit introduces it as Dr. Teeth's big band, and uh, it has a bunch more members. So I guess it's his second super group. It's the expansion pack. Uh, including Bobby Benson in a uh, early pre-baby appearance. He's the trumpet player. Yeah, I think this is the first time we see him. Bobby Benson is a uh, recurring Muppet Show character who shows up later uh, in the show's run as a named character. He leads a chorus of babies, the Bobby Benson's Baby Band, that are those weird, ugly babies that you might remember from uh, Muppets Most Wanted, where Bobby Benson and the Baby Band help Ricky Gervais steal the crown jewels, I believe. Yeah, the crown jewels. And uh, they're also in Muppet Christmas Carol. They're the street corner choir mentioned in uh, Feels Like Christmas. They're also in Muppets Take Manhattan, although I think without Bobby, uh, they're in the church scene. Yeah, that's my main association with them. They they sing the days go passing into years, years go, et cetera, et cetera, with uh, Jerry and the Atrix, who will show up later on for you guys as well. Never mind that jazz. Listen, turkey. What? And get out of show business? Let's tackle some show business. We've got a Muppet News Flash, which ends very abruptly and predictably. Dateline, New York. Medical science has been baffled by a sudden epidemic of the rare disease Malarditis. 
The illness strikes very quickly and causes its victim to turn into a duck. Myrditis? That's the silliest thing I ever... It's the duck, you guys. I miss that duck. This definitely felt like the writers were looking around the workshop and were like, oh, remember that duck? Let's do something with that duck. Jim Henson's little quacks are very cute. My mother, who is not any kind of medical professional, um, has this very pedantic thing about the use of itis that she has cursed me with, which is that itis means inflammation. But for some reason, it's become the thing that we all say about like a thing we don't like. <laughs> like, I have Monday-itis. So this just means inflammation of the mallard, not turning into a mallard, and therefore I'm annoyed by it. Thanks, Mom. Are, are, are you inflamed by it? I am. I am, in fact, inflamed so by this joke. Itis? I do. Success. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, in Veterinarian's Hospital, Dr. Bob is losing his patients, which causes some kind of glitch in the matrix that they're all in. Um, if you If you listen to your podcast sped up don't be alarmed they are they are talking very fast who are you who you you know the voice we keep hearing in here i'm the announcer i'm the guy who says and now veterinarian's hospital the continuing story of a quack who has gone to the dog well on to the next patient What's this? He was here a minute ago. Oh, wow. This is happening a lot lately. What is? Dr. Bob is losing his patience. <laughs> Untrue. I never lose my patience. What about the one you fed nitroglycerin to? Uh, <laughs> him I lost. Uh, but I found him again. Oh, where? In Maryland, Virginia, North and South Carolina. <laughs> That's him all over. <laughs> and so Dr. Bob has done all the same jokes twice. So they're speaking very quickly because that's the second time they've done the sketch. When it ends, they interact with the announcer, and then they enter their own personal purgatories. I love that they break the premise, and I love the havoc that it wreaks. I don't know what they all did to deserve being caught in this kind of glitch, but I'm sure there are some anti-pun listeners thinking they know exactly (laughs) what they did. Uh, I find this whole thing so bleak. The whole like the the sketch is really bleak this time, right? The like that they're joking about having exploded a patient is <laughs> not okay, and then like that like the 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 that the announcer has the power to trigger them to perform the entire sketch again, and then they do it a third time. I I don't know. It all it it bothered me. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. Again, this is this is the joke. I understand. Our job is to do commentary. We have a podcast. This is what we're here for. They're puppets. It's not real. Yes, I got it. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed it. I just thought it was interesting that this is what they chose to do in this episode rather than treat the newsman's maladitis. Also a fair point. Hmm. They could have made that a whole whole running gag. They could have exploded him into parts. Also completely irrelevant, but something that I just noticed because I'm paying close attention for a podcast. Uh, they use four different states uh, the second time they tell the joke. Oh, interesting. It's North and South Dakota and the bordering states the first time, and then it's North and South Carolina and the bordering states uh, the second time. Yeah, I noticed there were two sets of states, but I'm thinking now, I wonder if this can only end when they've gone through all the states. <laughs> or what happens when they run out? Or what happens when they get to 
a multiple of four <laughs> and they have two extra. Well, if you leave out Hawaii and Alaska, you got 48. So they'll, okay. they'll be okay. So the, they, they just go through the contiguous U.S. <laughs> that makes sense to me. And then they get to go home. So we have uh, a little sweet little comedy sketch with uh, Lou Rawls and Floyd and Animal. Lou Rawls encounters Floyd outside uh, walking the drummer. He's got Animal on a chain. And it turns out that Lou Rawls and Animal uh, belong to a mutual admiration society. They really love each other's work. Well, how do you tell a man that his work with the sticks really is down? I mean, he can put some soul in the bowl. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, okay, that's easy. Yeah. Animal. Yeah. Good drummer. Good drummer. Good drummer. Good drummer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, let me ask you this. Look, mm-hmm. see, I got this long road gig coming up, mm-hmm. and I'm short a drummer. You think he'd be interested? Oh, no. You couldn't take Animal on any long road trips, dude. Why not, man? The cat's good. Hey. Well, you couldn't get a long enough chain. Chain, chain. When Lou tries to discuss this with Animal, Floyd hands him Animal's chain, but Lou is not quite prepared for it. Hey, come on, Floyd. Just let me discuss it with him man to man, you know? Man to man? This dude don't know Animal. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Lou, there's his chain, but could I just ask one favor? Yeah, baby. Yeah, don't let him chase any cars, okay? Don't let him chase any cars. Cars! I think I blew that game. <laughs> so Lou is getting yanked around the screen by Animal, runs across in a couple of directions. It's fun to see. The writer Joseph A. Bailey talks about this sketch in his book, Memoir of a Muppet Writer. Uh, and he was assigned to write it by Jim Henson, and it took him a little bit to crack it. He writes, I'm quoting now. I'm not sure how we discovered it, but it seemed that Lou Rawls had a great sense of rhythm, but very little sense of comedic timing. So it took me close to three days to come up with the bit. The piece worked beautifully, as we say in comedy. In fact, I put it on my sample reel. The rationale for it is very simple. Since Lou Rawls had little sense of comic timing, I literally chained him to Frank Oz, who has an extraordinary sense of comedy, so Frank's timing controlled the scene. Huh. Hmm. That makes sense. I thought Lou Rawls was so good in this. I mean, I guess it's true he doesn't really tell any jokes, but that surprises me. I think that it's just, you know, he's he's very natural in it. Like I was saying, this is another time when I feel like he's very natural because you you feel like he's just talking music with Floyd, you know, like it 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 feels like this is just yeah, this is the kind of conversation that Lou Rawls and Floyd would have. Yeah, about putting some soul in the bowl. I will always love this comedy routine and this sketch because it was featured in a uh, a mashup track that uh, came out, geez, around like 2006 or whatever. Um, this musician called DJ BC did a bunch of Muppet covers. And one of the mashups that he recorded, just the bridge is just the entirety of this sketch with percussion behind it. So I like have this whole sketch memorized because for whatever reason, back in 2006, I was obsessed with this mashup album. And uh, it's uh, it's it's a weird one and it's a weird thing. But I, I don't know. This will always be one of the most memorable Muppet Show sketches, even though it's not amazing, but just... I don't know. <laughs> Internet's weird. Good enough for the writer to put on his reel. We have a clip. Yeah, well, he's a big fan, Lou. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he bought all your albums. Oh, you like them, Animal? Delicious! 
Yeah, well, let me tell you something, man. Well, you know, playing the drums so good, man. You take the sticks and you really lay down some great percussion. You know what I'm talking about. Percussion! Wow! I mean, it works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Becca, do you know if someone wanted to find that whole track or that whole album today? Yeah, the, li- the link still works. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. Um, but the track in particular is called um, I'm Happy on Sesame Street. Love it. So the Swedish chef, as we heard earlier, was not prepared to go on this early in the show. Um, and perhaps in protest at having to go on before he was prepared, uh, he unveils Robin the Frog on a tray and he prepares to uh, sleecy slicey knifey knifey for your frog's legs. Uncle Kermit, somebody, anybody, It's a really good joke. Don't say cut, say stop. I mean, it is a little terrifying that Tiny Robin has this knife being wielded over him. It's messed up. I like to think that the crew who set up the chef's set on stage knew exactly what was happening. (laughs) Just hates Robin. I mean, how did they get Robin in there? Maybe we shouldn't think about it too hard. Yeah, no. We've already done all that with the piglet. (laughs) But if you're going to have frog's legs, why would you go for the smallest frog around? Rare delicacy. Easier to catch. Not a lot of meat, though. The tenderest frogs? I don't know how frogs' legs work. Well, let's talk about other dance. (laughs) It's full of uh, whatnots and monsters and a precarious chandelier. And chickens. And chickens. (laughs) So, how are the kids, Flo? Oh, not too good. One of the chicks just came down with the people pox. (laughs) My horoscope said I should be careful today or some great physical harm could befall me. That's a lot of silly superstition. I object to chickens speaking like people, but I am grateful to see our chicken in an evening gown again outside of the opening credits. I can agree with that. I'm just grateful at the dances back. We know some pigs can sing, and some pigs are piglets in football jerseys. So I guess True. it works the same for chickens. When this came on, we were watching it. He says, oh, they're still doing this? <laughs> <laughs> they were over it. <laughs> One thing I do want to point out is Gonzo is like dancing with himself. Like He has his arms outstretched like he's holding a partner, but he's not. <laughs> I love that. And then, you know, 20 years later, he'll sing Dancing With Myself on Muppets Tonight. Full circle. So we have this kind of pseudo talk spot, which is really just an introduction to Bye Bye Blackbird. But we get a cute little exchange between Kermit and Lou Rawls. That's a little joke here. (laughs) Only possibly, Kermit, only. (laughs) Hey, hey, listen, Lou, could you tell us, what what is the secret of singing jazz like you do? Well, Kermit, all you have to do really is just kind of lay back know, and lay down some golden tones with soul and style. Sure. You just kind of lay back and lay down some golden tones with soul and style. Mm-hmm. And, uh, no, it doesn't even sound the same when I say it. Yeah, try as Kermit might. He's no, no Lou Rawls. It's interesting to revisit all these bits that feel like season one. We haven't seen At The Dance in a while. I don't think we've seen a talk spot this season. I mean, it's just a setup, but it's a little surprising. I do like that they use it as a setup, though. Like, it it feels a lot more natural 
to the structure of the show than the talk spots ever felt in season one. It also makes sense in an episode that already feels a little bit more throwbacky to a traditional variety show to reinstate the segment that is the most traditional variety show segment they have. And I think it's a it's a good opportunity. It's interesting to hear that thing about the writers not thinking Lou Rawls could do comedy. He doesn't tell any jokes here, but I, I do, you know, I think his chemistry with Kermit is really strong. I like that he he gives Kermit a hard time about his bad joke, right? Like all of that is very fun. So like it's possible they were just, you know, playing on his strengths and, and his willingness. You know, maybe he came in and said, I you know, I want I want to talk to Kermit. And they felt they couldn't write a sketch sketch for that, but they could just have them sit and talk. Maybe he came in and said, I want to roller skate, and they wrote a whole episode around Yeah, that. who knows? <laughs> So, in Muppet Labs, uh, Dr. Buns and Honeydew introduces the nuclear-powered shaver. And to protect Beaker from nuclear fallout while testing it, Bunsen hoists a heavy lead helmet onto Beaker's head. And then under the weight of the helmet, Beaker's head shrinks down into his shirt. Notice how effective the lead helmet is. Now Beaker doesn't need a shave. I'm glad he didn't have to test the nuclear-powered shaver. <laughs> the idea of Beaker needing to shave makes me uncomfortable. I don't know. I just, I can't picture him with stubble. I certainly can't picture him with a beard. I'm not sure where on his tube of a head it would go, where it starts, where it stops. They're only puppets, David. They're not real. I mean, somebody must have to, like, lint roll puppets every so often. <laughs> somebody <laughs> must have to shave them between episodes. <laughs> <laughs> That's how Raleigh Cruz and Gutter start. I mean, Kermit can grow a mustache. It's subtle at first. (laughs) Uh, I made a gif of this, and it's maybe my favorite gif that I've made for the podcast so far. Beaker is so cute. I mean, especially early season two Beaker. He's just so cute. Uh, Listeners, if you are of the fan art producing variety, and you want to send us some pictures of what Beaker with stubble or beard looks like, I would be glad to see them. I thought you were soliciting, I don't know, illustrations of Beaker's head shrinking down into his shirt, which is very adorable. We have a I gift mean, of that. I you do that too, but I know what that looks like. <laughs> yeah, well, we know that that's cute. We don't want to know what Beaker with a beard would look like. I mean, maybe you do. Moving right along. <laughs> Let's talk about Fozzie's comedy act, which he does perform towards the end of the episode on roller skates. It's taken him the whole episode to prepare. But now he's here performing... Funny jokes and figure eights, quote unquote. He's been preparing the whole episode. Whether he's fully ready now, it's hard to tell, but he's prepared as he's going to get. Guy, guy walks into our diner. There's a horse behind the counter. The guy just looks at the horse. The horse says, what's the matter? Surprised to see me here? And the guy says, yeah. Did the cow sell the place? Ah! <laughs> he was doing okay till he fell off the stage. Wrong. He was doing okay till he came on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> Did the cow sell the place? <laughs> <laughs> He's trying so hard. And he skated right into Stetler and Waldorf's box, or into the bottom of it, not up there with them. Why didn't they write material for him that referenced the skating? Like, why is he on skates for this particular joke? He did a cheap skates joke, but there could have been more skate jokes. You're right. I mean, on the other hand, when I was a child, this was like the funniest thing. 
It's on the second Muppet Show album, which we had on cassette when I was a kid. And I thought that this joke about the cow who sold the place was the funniest thing. And and even still today, sometimes when people will say, like, surprise to see blank, I will <laughs> respond by asking if the cow sold the place. And no one knows what I'm talking about ever. But I still think this is like the funniest thing. It has nothing to do with skates. You're absolutely right. But uh, it's some it's some quality bad jokes. Yeah, just the phrase did the cows sell the place is pretty entertaining. And I think I had it on a tape as well. Maybe we had it on a tape that was recorded off of the record. That was definitely the case. We we did not have like a a it was a blank tape that had, you know, Muppets 2 recorded on it. <laughs> yeah, but I definitely have an audio memory of this and finally seeing visuals for it is terrific. This whole Fozzie Runner is remarkably close to the origin story of Fanny Bryce that we get in Funny Girl. <laughs> For those who are not familiar with the musical or the film, Barbara Streisand as Fanny Bryce talks her way into a role in a chorus line at a very small vaudeville house. And the number that they're supposed to do is on roller skates. And she lies and says that she knows how to roller skate and then cannot roller skate and ends up turning what is supposed to be like a very straightforward, like impressive demonstration of skating number into a hilarious comedy bit where she is like crashing into the other showgirls. And if we can find just that clip, I will include it in the show notes. But if you've never seen Funny Girl, you should. It's a great movie. I am now overthinking how it would turn out to see Fozzie Girl because (laughs) (laughs) he would totally talk his way into that job. And hearing Fozzie say, can I roller skate? Would I, I just want to hear him say that now. And putting a Muppet in that role is very much putting a bagel on a plate full of onion rolls. We love to see it. Statler and Waldorf would call it not funny girl. Mm. Not funny, not girl. True, both. (laughs) We're a little far afield and we're at the end of our walk through this episode. Does anyone have final thoughts that we didn't get to? The end of our waka waka through this episode. Our roller skate through the episode. Mm. I think we did it, guys. All right. Well, before we go, we come to one of my favorite segments, which is called Guest Plug Your Stuff. Oh, um, well, I'm the guest and I'm going to plug my stuff. Uh, So, of of course, mostly you can find my relevant stuff on toughpigs.com. A lot of those articles are still under Evan G as kind of things shake out in my life. But you can find them, uh, and there's some good stuff, including an article about the Lou Rawls episode of The Muppet Show, which maybe you want to know even more about. You can also find me on Twitter, at Uncle Petunio. That's uncle, like the kind of person who might own a theater, and then Petunio, like the flower, except with an O instead of an A. We will link all of that in the show notes. And Hubba is also linked on Tough Pigs, and I'll talk about it on Twitter when episodes are around. Um, we haven't had one past couple weeks, but I've got a couple more coming soon. Hubba Thank you. Well, Becca, thanks for joining us. I love tonight's show. Really? Of course not. Just wanted to see if I could say it. <laughs> thanks for listening to this episode of Muppeturgy. We'll be back next week with the Cleo Lane episode. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Muppeturgy or on the web at Muppeturgy.com. 
If you like what we're doing, please spread the word and offer a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Todd Ryan Backus. And this episode was edited by me, David Levy. I would just like points for not once bringing up Link's penis during that discussion. All right, let's move on. <laughs> you, wait, now that you have, though, <laughs> did you know that... <laughs> Where is this going? <laughs> that pig's penises are curly like their tails. I did not know. What? This is a true fact. So you can assume a thing about Link's penis. <laughs> <laughs>